This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in Psalm 66. Psalm 66, starting in verse 1. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, for this opportunity to gather in your house as your people, to worship you, to to recognize your greatness, to recognize your care for us, to recognize your sovereignty, to recognize that you are our creator, our Lord, the one who takes care of us, provides for us. Lord, it's so easy for us to uh, go through life and forget those things. It's so easy for us to set our eyes on lesser things. As we talked earlier about, we worship our idols and we worship our uh, things that aren't you. So this morning we know is set aside for us to be reminded of just how great you are, to be reminded of how worthy of praise you are. So I pray that you would do that this morning, that you would do that now in our hearts, that you draw our eyes and our attention and our hearts to you, that we wouldn't be distracted by uh, the many things that can so easily draw our focus away from you. God, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you've given us the psalms. You've put the very words on our lips that we can sing back to you. Knowing that there are so many different circumstances in life. Not every day is joyful. 
Not every day is full of pain, but there's so much, uh, so much variation as we walk through this life, as we deal with the reality of living in a fallen world, and we have to deal with things that are difficult. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us. And whatever ever situation that every person in this room or, or at home this morning is, is dealing with, I pray that you would meet us in those situations, that you would provide comfort to those who are hurting or grieving or confused. I pray that you would uh, help us to rejoice even more when we're in a good situation in life. And not just in the things, not just in the gifts that we can see that are tangible, but in the giver of those gifts. Lord, help us to rejoice in knowing that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are and all that you are doing for us and doing in us. God, we thank you for VBS this last week. Thank you that it was a successful and a good time after a year that we weren't able to do it. Lord, we thank you that that was able to, to happen and pray that those kids would be impacted for, for days and weeks and months and years to come, that they'd be able to look back on this when they become adults and remember how they were taught the gospel, that it was told them, and that they understood it even from this young age. Lord, we pray for, for camp as it's coming up and, and recognizing that there's a lot of that similar type of work, Lord, things that... Uh, that, that uh, you so often do in changing our hearts and shaping our hearts at camp. We pray that you would continue to prepare every student that's going to be there, prepare the leaders, prepare the counselors, so that your name would be glorified and that you would draw us all closer to yourself. Lord, I pray for this morning. Again, thanking you that you have set aside this time for us to worship you, to hear from your word. We pray for Pastor Aaron that you would speak through him. We recognize that it's you, Holy Spirit, that change our hearts through the preaching of your word, through the revelation that you've given us in, in the scriptures. So we pray that you would do that this morning, and we pray it confident, knowing that you are faithful to do what you've promised. So Lord, help us to listen in expectation. Help us to apply the word to our own hearts, to the things that you're calling us to and the things that you're calling us from. We pray that you would be glorified in every way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, First Prize. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you would take that out and um, turn to Psalm 66, as that's where we're digging in. As was already said, this is the summer of wisdom, so I'm anticipating we're all going to leave this summer a lot smarter than we entered, right? That's the goal. Draw your attention to this psalm specifically, and this psalm is focused very narrowly on the difference between foolish and wise wisdom, uh, foolish and wise worship. Let me say that again. It's foolishness to worship lesser things. That's really the focus that you see here in this psalm, is that ultimately the psalmist is calling us to worship God because he's worthy. You know, since I was a little boy, I've been crazy about football, yet I grew up here near Detroit. <laughs> Let me go on record to say I've never been crazy enough to worship the Detroit Lions. That would be outright foolishness, wouldn't it? Yet the truth is there are some that do. 
There are some that live and die by what happens with the Detroit Lions. Their draft picks, their, their preseason games, their failure at a season. People's whole emotions are, are caught up in, in what happens to and with a team. That's foolishness. Psalmist is drawing our attention and saying, don't worship the things of this world. No, worship the God who created this world. I draw your attention to the way the psalm is really broken up. Verses 1 through 4 deal with a God who is creator and worthy of worship. Verses 5 all the way to verse 12 deal with a God who is sustainer and worthy of worship. And then verses 13 all the way down to verse 20, we deal with the God who is redeemer and worthy of worship. See, the psalmist is making it clear that there is only one who is worthy of our worship. And that one is the creator, sustainer, and redeemer. Nothing that's been created is worth our worship. Nothing that needs help for its existence is worth our worship. And surely nothing that is sinful is worthy of our worship. So wise worship worships the living and true God. That's what the psalmist is saying. I draw your attention to his first point. The creator is worthy of worship. Look at verse 1. He says, shout for joy to God all the earth. Right here it's very broad. He's calling all of the earth to shout for joy to God. Now I pause there and I want to take you on a journey around the earth, if you will. I want you to think of all the ways and all the things that God has made and acts and does and ultimately how those things that he's created worship him. Yes, it's true. A a tree worships God. A tree worships God by by being the tree that it's supposed to be. A, A bird, every morning I hear the singing of the birds worshiping God right outside my window. It gets really annoying. They worship really loud. They're very passionate in their worship of God. A rock. A rock worships God in that it does what it was created to do. It sits there on the road and it magnifies God's ability and strength and power and sturdiness. See, creation itself sings out in so many ways. And yet here in our text... The psalmist has to say, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Well, I just got done saying all the earth is already worshiping God. So who is he talking to? But God's special creation, man, who's hardened his heart, stiffened his neck, and is not giving God the glory due his name. The psalmist kind of tries to redirect us in verse 2. He says, sing the glory of his name. Who is this God we worship? He is the creator of all. That's who he is. Give to him glorious praise. It's interesting the psalmist says that. He's basically saying to you and me, don't give God the leftovers of your worship. Don't give God simply what remains. No, give God what's best. Give God the glorious worship of your life, of your time putting God first, giving him priority over everything else. 
all the things that are created in the world that, that seek our time. Make sure God gets the glorious worship that's due his name. It's not just our time, though, is it? It's also our resources. Spending our resources, our energy, our money, our ability for the glory of God as opposed for the things of this world. That's what the psalmist is calling us to. He's calling all the world to shout for joy to God. He says in verse 3 why we should do this. Look what he says. How awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come and cringe to you. It's interesting language the psalmist uses there. First of all, when he talks about the awesome deeds. Now, I grew up in a generation where we really knew what awesome meant, right? We walked around and we talked about everything being awesome. It was totally awesome, man. Pizza was totally awesome. Really? Awe-inspiring? That's what the psalmist is saying. There is only one who is awe-inspiring, and it's not pizza. It's God. God is the one who is awe-inspiring. And what are his deeds? He creates from nothing. It's absolutely amazing when you think about it. Everything we make, we use pre-existing material, but not so with God. God speaks that which wasn't into existence. That's the awesome deeds of which the psalmist is drawing us to. All the earth, you're here because God has created you. Worship him with joy and splendor, with glorious worship. Even your enemies come cringing to you. And notice he says that. Even your enemies, they they have to worship you. They come cringing, but their cringing is really worship because they recognize that ultimately you're powerful over them. You're supreme over them. Notice they cringe, but they still come. They're powerless compared to you, God. You are so worthy of our praise. All of the creation needs to praise you. Not just those who believe in you, but even your enemy must worship you. Verse 4, he says, All the earth worships you, sings praises to you, sing praises to your name. See, God's name is the makeup of who he is. When Moses asked God in that moment there with the burning bushes, who should I say is sending me? I am is sending you. God makes it very clear that the one who sends him is the one who is. The one who holds all things in his hand. The one who created all things. This is the one to whom we are to give allegiance and worship and honor. You know what's interesting about this is the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme in the New Testament. See, the Apostle Paul in the book of of Colossians is doing something unique. He's saying, I want you to understand that Jesus is God, and so therefore I want to match up all the things that God is and show you why you should praise Jesus. In Colossians 1, 
He's giving this psalm of praise, if you will, about Jesus. And listen to what he says, beginning at verse 15. He, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. What is the Apostle Paul doing? He's saying, look, God is the creator and Jesus is God. Jesus is worthy of all of our attention and all of our affection and all of our worship. Just as God is worthy of all of our affection and all of our worship. But there's a problem in the earth, isn't there? See, the world has every reason to worship God as creator. The trees doing what they're doing and, and the birds doing what they're doing and the rocks doing what they're doing. But man, God's special creation, has hardened his heart. And he denies God the worship he is due. And why does he do this? Man does this simply to worship lesser things. That's why he does it. Friends, for just a moment, consider all the ways creation, meaning us, humanity, rob God of his worship. We're too busy to acknowledge God. We're smarter than the Bible to acknowledge there's a God. We're more modern. We're more progressive. We're more affluent. All these reasons man has for not worshiping God, and yet the psalmist says, let all the creation of the world worship God. Because God alone is worthy of all of our praises and all of our joy. He is worthy. But the psalmist doesn't stop there with creation. No, what you begin to see is the psalmist begin to narrow things in. He moves from creation to the idea of God being worshipped because he's the sustainer. Not only is he the creator, no, he's also the sustainer. But look what he does in verse 5. He says, come and see what God has done. Let me show you the acts of God. But again, I'm not talking to all the world. I'm talking now to those who know it. Those who've tasted it, those who've experienced, come and see. What the psalmist is doing is he's taking the children of God, described here as the children of men, back on a journey. And notice he does here in verse 6, he says, he turned the sea into dry land. What does that bring up in your mind? Possibly the Red Sea, the crossing of it with Moses. Or maybe, as some scholars believe, it's, it's a reference to Joshua in the crossing over of the River Jordan. Depending on whether you take an earlier writing or a later writing of this psalm, the point is God is the one who delivers his people. God is the one who delivers his people, and therefore, we should worship him. And notice the description that the psalmist gives. He says he turned the sea into dry land. Now, I don't know about you, 
But have you ever walked on something that was wet? Just recently, when all of the rains came, let me tell you, I walked in my backyard and I pretty much lost my shoes. But that's not the description here, that as soon as God moves the water, that's one miracle. But the fact that on the ground was dry land, sturdy soil, firm foundation for the people of God to walk. That's the deliverance of our king. That's the deliverance of our God. What was the response when he turned the sea into dry land? When they passed through the river on foot? Notice at the end of verse 6, there did we rejoice in him. Friends, when's the last time you've taken the time to rejoice in the goodness of God? The last time you've actually taken the time to celebrate his goodness towards you, his deliverance for you, his holding you up, providing a sure foundation for you. See, what's interesting here is he's not speaking to all the world anymore. Now he's driven in to speak to the nation, the specific nation of Israel, the people of God who experienced this experience. Friends, it forces me to think of us as a church because we are the people of God. And how have we experienced God's goodness in sustaining us? Now, friends, some of you may say, hey, we made it through COVID. Praise God. What a horrible experience that was. Yes. And yet here today, the church is assembled. And we're having the opportunity to sing the praises of God. But it's not just that. This church is over 117 years old. 1903 is when First Pres was founded. As I began to sit there and think about all the ways in which God has shored up the foundation for this church to be a gospel-preaching church for over 117 years, I started to think about all the things that took place, all that our ancestors had experienced. The Great Depression. World War I before the Great Depression. World War II after the Great Depression. Korea, Vietnam, terrorism, all their experiences, the highs and the lows. But one thing they know is that God has delivered us. And today, here we are, having the opportunity to glorify God for all of his deliverance for his people. But sure, as you hear this, you begin to think about the ways in which we should rejoice We should rejoice because according to verse 7, he rules and his might is forever. His sovereignty is unlimited. It's not in a a period of time where where God was king and now he's not. It's not like all of a sudden postmodernism has pushed God off the throne. He says, here I am. I rule over all. Even my enemies come cringing towards me. He keeps his watch on the nations, it says in verse 7. Then there's a warning. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. May we be mindful of really who's in charge. 
by whose hand we're supported and protected and guided. How easy it is for man to become proud and arrogant and to cease to worship God and begin to worship themselves. But the psalmist says, don't do it. See God's deliverance, his hand of protection upon you. In verse 8, he says, bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. For he has kept our soul from the living and has not let our foot slip. The old ancients used to call this the psalm of resurrection. The idea that God provides for his people. God delivers his people. Friends, with that deliverance, be sure there's testing. There's difficulty. There's hardship. Because through that difficulty and hardship, God keeps redirecting our eyes back to him. Look at verse 10. He says, for you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us as silver is tried. See, he's very clear that ultimately the way in which you get your worship is by redirecting our eyesight, getting it off of ourselves and back onto you as the one who truly is worthy. And so therefore you begin to try us. Look at the ways he tries us. In verse 11, he says, you brought us into the net. He goes on to say, you laid a crushing burden on our backs. Verse 12, you let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. What is the psalmist referring to? Many scholars believe he's referring to the exile. If you remember, the exile was the period of time when Israel was rebellious in heart and God turned their necks back to him. He tried them to to reallocate their heart and their affections back to him. And so he sent the northern tribe into exile of Assyria and later the southern tribe into exile of Babylon. And he's saying ultimately, look to me. Look to me. You're not so strong on your own. You need me. I am your sustainer. That's the experience we have. The hardships of life bring. They force us to turn and look outside of ourselves and cry out to God for help. But look at the end of verse 12. Through all that trial, the psalmist says, you've brought us out to a place of abundance. Friends, I draw your attention to that verse. It reminds me so similarly to the Psalm 23, where God is described as a great shepherd over the sheep. And what does that great shepherd do? He, he brings the sheep to a place where the water is still and the ground is fertile. A place where they can eat and, and be comforted. And he protects them with his rod and his staff. He's there present for them providing for them. And there they are in the abundance of God's blessing. And so they recognize how good a shepherd they have. They didn't let them wander off into self-service or self-worship. He called them home. And he used the testing and the refining of fire to do that, to turn our eyes back to him. Friends, what's interesting about this is that again, Paul does very much the same thing. Paul draws our attention to the importance of Christ as the one who sustains. 
Listen to what he says in Colossians 1, verses 17 and 19. And he, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Friends, look at that verse. The first thing it says, Paul says, is that Christ holds all things together because Christ is God. But he goes on to say that Christ has a relationship with the church as God had a relationship with the people of Israel, the church in the Old Testament. And ultimately, that Christ went through the suffering and the trials on our behalf, as it says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Because of Christ, we have hope. Because of God, we're held up, we're supported. Even in the midst of trial and difficulty, whatever that looks like for you personally, know that God is the one who supports you. That's why Christ came, to hold the church together. But again, it forces us to ask the question, how have we seen the church held together by God? How have we seen his power and support to sustain us in times of difficulty and hardship? There are many ways, but through it all, God has been faithful and God can be trusted and therefore God and God alone should be worshiped. That's the point of the psalmist. That's where he's driving the reader he wants us to sing God's praise, so he writes a hymn of praise reflecting on the fact that all of creation should worship God, but specifically those who know that he sustains them, he supports them, his people whom he holds together. This is the hope that we have, and this is the reason we have for singing his praises. And it doesn't end there. The psalmist yet moves further as he begins to talk about not only God to be worshipped as creator and sustainer, but as our redeemer. I draw your attention that, that now for the first time we go from uh, the use of, of the words that are more in the plural to the word that's used in the singular. Look at verse 13. I will come. I will come into your house. I will. All of a sudden, the psalmist makes it personal to say, I know who my Redeemer is. As we look at this text, we realize that the psalmist understands ultimately what and who saved him. Look at verse 16. He says, come and hear all of you who fear God. What strikes me in that verse is that he's not calling all the world, is he? He's not even calling all of the church. Don't miss that. He's calling those who fear God. That's an important point. Because if all of creation isn't worshiping God as it's supposed to, we would be foolish to believe that all of the church is worshiping God 
as they're supposed to. So the psalmist says, those of you who truly fear God, what does it mean to fear God? But it doesn't mean trembling and in awe, although that might have some connotation. It's, it's the idea of reverence, respect. It's, it's the idea that I recognize what he's done for me. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. Come and hear. Notice in verse 4, he said, come and see. Now he says, come and hear, all of you who fear God, and I will tell you through personal testimony what he's done for my soul. Remember what the psalmist is saying. We went through hard times. The river was before us, but he, he, he parted the sea, and we walked on dry land. We were tested. We were crushed. We, we seemed overwhelmed, but then we saw his deliverance and that he provided for us a place of abundance. This is my testimony, the psalmist says, because he's my redeemer. I will tell you what he's done for me. Back to verse 13, and you read, he says, I will come into your house with burning offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that with which my lips uttered and my mouth had promised when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings and the fatted animals. Make no mistake, he's not saying, hey, if you deliver me, God, I'll do all these good things. No, ultimately what he's saying, he's saying, ultimately you deserve and I'm going to fulfill my vows because you are worthy, because you did deliver me. It's a heart of gratitude in his response of worship. His worship is tied to his gratitude. Let me say that again, church. His worship is tied to his gratitude. Your worship is tied to your gratitude. The glorious worship that God is due is tied to your gratitude. The way in which you worship, the love you have for Christ is tied to your gratitude. And the psalmist understands this. The psalmist understands that God is not only creator and God is not only sustainer, God is my redeemer. He doesn't just save those people out there. He's saved me. And therefore, I will worship him. I will give gratitude to him. I will sing glorious praises to his name. To get specific, the psalmist goes yet even deeper. In verse 17, he says, I cried with him with my mouth, and high praises were on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to my voice through prayer. He's ultimately saying, I recognize that God transformed my heart. God gifted me forgiveness. God ultimately is now doing a wonderful thing in saving me. And my only proper response is worship. Not half-hearted worship but true worship, glorious worship. Why? Because God listened. God listened to me even in the midst of my sin. The prayer God promises to always hear is the prayer of a sinner 
crying for forgiveness. That's one of the most amazing truths in all of Scripture. That God promises to always hear the prayer of a penitent soul. He listened. He attended to the voice of my prayer. And what's the response, verse 20? Blessed be God. What other response could there be? Blessed be God. Praise be God. Glorious praise be God. For he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. I deserve to be rejected, but I came and I was embraced. I deserved to ultimately receive rejection and judgment, but I found favor and love. Blessed be God. Again, Paul matches idea for idea with this psalm. Paul makes it very clear in Colossians 1.20 that Jesus is God because Jesus is Redeemer. He says, and through him Christ reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, get this, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's the promise. That's the hope. And that is the salvation that Christ provides. Peace with God through the cross. Salvation through atonement. Salvation through sacrifice. But where do we stand? As we hear the words of the psalmist who's calling all the earth to praise God as creator, calling the church to worship God as sustainer and calling the individual to rejoice in a God who redeems. Where do we stand? See, the point of this psalm is that we are to come and see what God has done. The psalmist moves from uh, the plural to the singular. He focuses on the whole earth as God's glory. Then God focuses on the nation and God's sustaining power, and finally arriving at the individual and saying, he's the redeemer. How much gratitude do you have for the redemption of your sin? That's the question before all of us. See, we are being asked, are we worshiping wisely? Or are we worshiping as fools? Foolish worship is to worship the Detroit Lions. Foolish worship is to worship created things. Foolish worship is to worship those things that need others to support them. Foolish worship is to worship sinful things. But why wise worship? Wise worship is worshiping the creator, the sustainer, and the Redeemer, who is God alone, found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Do you truly 
love Christ? Are you thankful for his work for you? Your worship is found in your gratitude. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this text, God, I pray that our eyes would be fixed on you. Guys, we're reminded that you alone are creator, you alone are sustainer, you alone are redeemer. And God, we're thankful that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and walked amongst us for the very purpose of redeeming us. Not just from an enemy like the Egyptians, but from an enemy like death and hell. And thank you that we can have hope, hope in the resurrection, because you are the one who ultimately protects our souls to life. You give us the firm foundation of Christ to walk upon. And so, Lord, we're thankful for his sacrifice. And, Lord, any type of sacrifice or worship we can provide is merely reflecting the glory already do your name. So, God, we pray that our worship would be glorious, for you are glorious. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.